the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. That's just a taste of what heaven's going to be like. That's heavenly worship. So we're going to worship God continually, but what makes worship in heaven so special? What are the elements of heavenly worship? Because if, you, if we can isolate the, the elements of heavenly worship, which is perfect worship, uh, if we can isolate that and incorporate that into our lives, we will have the kind of worship that God wants us to have here. When we praise someone for an achievement, do we do that for ourselves or the other person? Hmm, dumb question, I know. But quite often our worship of God, especially in church, is geared more toward pleasing ourselves than Him. So if we want to please Him with our worship, it should be obvious that we need to worship Him for who He is. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we move on to the conclusion of Pastor Steve's series of messages about heaven. We've learned that worship, really excellent worship, is one of the things we'll enjoy doing there. There is a lot of information about heavenly worship in the book of Revelation, so let's look at that now. Here's Pastor Steve. Revelation chapter 4, I'll just read this, verses 9 through 11. You don't even need to turn there, you just want to write it down or just close your eyes, don't sleep, close your eyes and listen. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, and 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. Chapter 5, verse 9. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and did purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and elders and number, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and in all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. Revelation 7 verse 9. And these things I looked and beheld a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. 
uh, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Revelation chapter 11. Verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded and there arose loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of this of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying we give thee thanks O Lord God the Almighty who art and who wast because thou hast taken thy great power and hast begun to reign. Revelation 15. Verse 2, and I saw as it were a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had come off victorious from the beast and from his image and from the number of his, uh, of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservants of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God the Almighty, righteous and true are thy ways, thou King of the nations, uh, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou uh, alone art worthy or art holy rather and for all the nations will come and worship before thee for thy righteous acts have been revealed and finally revelation 19 verse 1 after these things i heard as it were a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our god because his judgments are true and righteous for he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a great voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and as the sound of many waters and the sound of many peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. That's just a taste of what heaven's going to be like. That's heavenly worship. So we're going to worship God continually. But what makes worship in heaven so special? What are the elements of heavenly worship? Because if, you, if we can isolate the, the elements of heavenly worship which is perfect worship, uh, if we can isolate that and incorporate that into our lives, we will have the kind of worship that God wants us to have here. So let's, let, let me give you three elements of worship in heaven that can affect you today. Very practical. Number one, in heaven, we will have a full understanding of God and his character and his works. A full understanding. That's why it's perfect. The more you know about God, the greater your worship will be the greater your capacity for worship will be. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says that then we will know even as we are known. God knows us completely. We will have complete knowledge. I don't fully comprehend that, obviously. But we will have complete knowledge. Now, uh, what does that mean as far as worship? In John chapter 4, if you'll turn there, in John chapter 4, Jesus has a conversation with a woman, a Samaritan woman, who normally uh, would never have a conversation with a Jew, or a Jew would never have a conversation with a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman, let alone an immoral woman. But Jesus did. In verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. They're talking about physical water. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. 
meaning to, the, to that well. And he said to her, go, call your husband and come here. It's a great line. It's a great line because the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. What she was saying is, you know all about my lifestyle. You know all about the way I'm living. And then she tries to, to move away from her immorality to a theological discussion. And she says in verse 20, our fathers, meaning our Samaritan fathers, the Samaritans were a combination of Jews and Gentiles, different than Jews. So she says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people, meaning you Jews, you said to Jesus, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So she's trying to get him into a theological discussion on worship. Where should we worship? Should we worship in this mountain or should we, do we have to go to Jerusalem? What do you, what do you think? Since, that you're, since you're a prophet, let's discuss this. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. It means you Samaritans do not have the full truth. We worship that which we know for salvation is from the Jews. We understand but an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Now, let's, let's isolate this. What's he saying? True worship is based, he said, on two things. It does not matter where it is. It does not matter whether it's this church building or a church building down the road or your own home or whether you go to Jerusalem or whether you go to so many, uh, any place. True worship is based on two things. Number one, it's based on spirit. What is spirit? He means by spirit, your attitude, your heart. Not the physical heart, but your inner man, your attitude. And it's based on truth, the correct knowledge of God. The place isn't important. What is important is your heart and the truth. And here's why the truth is so important. As we get to know God better by understanding his word better, it ought to be expressed in worshiping him. If you're off on truth, you're going to be off on worship. Our worship is always dependent on the truth. Because we praise God and thank him for what he's revealed about himself in, in his word. If we misunderstand his word, we're, we're going to be off in our worship. In heaven, worship is always based on the accurate truth about God. And what do they do with that truth? Notice what we said. They praise him. They thank him, what we read before. But they don't do it in an empty way. I've heard people who think that praise the Lord means praise the Lord. Just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I, uh, I've met people who that's all, praise the Lord. Praise, but what are you praising the Lord for? You never see anything in scripture where it's just isolated, praise the Lord. Just praise, praise, praise. There's always substance there. The people in, in, uh, that we just read in the book of Revelation who praise him, praise him for being great. They praise him as creator. They praise him as the sovereign one. They praise him for his uh, sovereign will, for his death, for redemption. They praise him for what he's done with mankind. They praise him. They, they, it has substance. It isn't just empty words of saying praise. It's praising him for what he is or what he's done. So pattern your worship after heavenly worship. Praise with substance based on truth. And here's how it works. As you get into the Bible, as you read the Bible, you ought to have a daily time of, of devotion. As you're reading the word, then as you move into a prayer time, and it's good to have a prayer list, as you move into your prayer time from Bible reading, stop. And before you ask him to do something, stop and praise him for what you've discovered about him. If you've discovered that he's holy, then you praise him for that. If you've discovered that, that he's a God who's powerful to meet your, your needs, then you praise him for that. 
And that's how you, you praise him and thank him for what you've discovered about him. That's worshiping him in spirit and in truth. So that's the first element, is that our worship is based on accuracy, accurate knowledge. The second element of heavenly worship is that there's going to be music. Music will play a prominent role in heaven. We saw that in Revelation 14. We saw that in Revelation 15. They sang the song of Moses. It's a new song. Um, that we're going to be worshiping him. Now, uh, this is very reminiscent of Old Testament worship, and I want you to listen very closely to this. Uh, this is reminiscent of, of in the, the fact in the Old Testament, music played an important role in worshiping God in the temple and in the tabernacle. Look, if you will, this is important, First Corinthians, or First Chronicles, rather, way back in the Old Testament, First Chronicles, if you can find it, if I can find it, First Chronicles chapter 25, I found it. First Chronicles 25, and, and this, is, this is very similar to what heavenly worship will be like. And I want you to see a principle here. I've, I've never said this publicly, but I'm going to. It says, moreover, in verse 1, David and his commanders of the army set apart for the service, meaning the public worship service, some of the sons of uh, Asaph and uh, Heman and uh, Jedatham, who were to prophesy with their lyres, harps, and cymbals, and the number of those who performed their service was, and it just lists a lot of things. And then go to verse uh, 6 and 7. All these were under the direction of their fathers to sing in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres for the service of the house of God. Asaph, uh, Jedatham, and Heman were under the direction of the king. And their number who were trained in singing to the Lord with their relatives, all who were, watch this, skillful with 288. That word skillful is very important. In the public worship service, there were to be skillful musicians, not just anybody who said, I want to sing. I want to play an instrument. That's gotten very quiet here all of a sudden. <laughs> now, this is why churches today need to make sure that not just anybody sings or plays an instrument in the public worship service, no matter how great their heart is, no matter how wonderful their motives are. And, and the reason being is because music, those who lead us in music, not talking about congregational singing now, but those who lead us in music are to lead us to God in worship and you don't want to be distracted because somebody's not very talented. Now that's exactly what, what they mean. Someone said this, an ancient writer, Thomas Carlyle, said, music leads us to the verge of the infinite and lets us gaze on that. Music ought to lead us to God and you ought not to be thinking, this, this person can't sing very well. This person's not playing the instrument right because that defeats the purpose. It's counterproductive. That's why in a church, in New Testament times, a local church, those who lead in music ought to have some talent. It's not a disgrace to not lead in music, but it, they ought to be skillful musicians. You ought not to be thinking about the musician's ability or lack of ability, but about God. That's the whole point. Congregational singing is different. Congregational singing, you can sing lousy. Your voice can crack. You can sing off key. That's all right. That's where we make a joyful noise. That's it. But not when you're leading people in the worship of God. Those who are public in, in leading are leading us to God. The, our, our response is congregational singing. Now in heaven, there will be music and songs, but it will be a new song, a new song, because heaven's music will never grow old. And let me just tell you my, my struggle. Maybe you can relate to this. Frankly, with music today, whether it's hymns or choruses, if I hear it enough, I grow bored. 
I grow bored with some songs that we sing. It doesn't matter whether it's hymns or choruses. It doesn't matter. Because I become so familiar with them that I sometimes don't even think about what I'm singing. Maybe you can relate to this. I have raised my Ebenezer many times without knowing what an Ebenezer is. By the way, an Ebenezer, I looked up this week, is a stone commemorating God's victory in the Old Testament. Maybe you've raised your Ebenezer. I, um, I have asked the Lord to take away my bent to sin. That's absolutely ridiculous. God will not take away your bent to sinning until you're with him. But I've, I've sung that. I've sung that. Um, I have sung about, about the Lord Jesus emptying himself of all but love. You know, that's heresy. That's heresy. He emptied himself of deity. He only had love. He didn't have holiness. That's heresy. And I'm glad when we sang the song, David made sure we didn't sing the second stanza because it would have been embarrassing. I have to say that. It's in my notes. And um, I, have, I have sung about the Lord's coming when everything gets real good. You know what that's called? It's called postmillennialism. That's not what we believe. Everything's going to get better and better and better, and then Christ is going to come back. I have sung all those things, uh, and, and, and I'm sure you have too. But heaven's music will always be fresh, will always be new. And you know what? We won't have any conflicts over it. Parents, do you, do you struggle with your teenagers about music? Those days will be long gone in heaven. I have a great quote here from J. Oswald Sanders, uh, who just recently went to be with the Lord in heaven. Here's what he said. We all have our preferences and aversions in music, but we can be sure that the music of heaven will be so melodious, so harmonious, so aesthetically pleasing and uplifting that no one's taste will be offended. That's just great, because we have all differences, and, and it's not right or wrong. Most of the time, it has nothing to do with right or wrong. It's just usually the way you were raised. But in heaven, those conflicts will be gone. We'll enjoy singing. Uh, we'll, it, it'll just be wonderful. So now there's something very interesting about the singing in heaven is revealed in the book of Revelation. It's always spontaneous. You notice that? Always spontaneous. There's no mention of anyone leading the music. <laughs> you see, I always get the last word, no matter what he says here. There's no minister of music in heaven, but David, we're going to be together because uh, there are no pastors needed in heaven either. So we're going to be out of a job. We'll be doing something else. We'll probably be directing traffic. That's what we'll be doing. Uh, you see, true worship flows naturally. True worship is spontaneous. It, it cannot, even today, it cannot be turned on and off. That's why if you're not worshiping the Lord throughout the week, you cannot just come on Sunday and really enter into worship. You just can't do that. It's just not like a water faucet where I'm going to turn on on Sunday morning and Sunday evening, but the rest of the week I'm not worshiping the Lord. It doesn't work like that. Ephesians, look at Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18 tells us about music. It's a great, a great truth that ought to grip your hearts. Ephesians 5.18 and 19 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The word fill means control. Don't be controlled by alcohol, but be controlled by the Spirit of God. How does he control us? He controls us through the Word of God as we obey it. But watch what the evidence, one of the evidences of being controlled by the Spirit. How do you know if you're under the Lord's control or under your own control? Verse 19, if you're under the Lord's control, then you'll be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Out of Spirit-controlled lives, flow songs and praise. See, that's why our praise in heaven is going to be perfect, because we're going to be under his absolute control. No sin struggles. If you're not singing to the Lord, not just on Sundays, but throughout the, the week, if you don't want to sing, 
to the Lord, then you're not under his control. You're not under his control. I know when I'm not in fellowship with Christ, I don't want to sing. When I am in fellowship with him, I want to sing. There's a melody in my heart. So the two elements of our worship is full knowledge and music from perfect hearts. The third element that we see in heavenly worship is that in heaven, we will see Jesus Christ. Notice Revelation 22. You will see him. And something very interesting about that. Revelation 22, verse 4 says, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. We will see his face. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus Christ will be the center of attraction in heaven. What does it mean exactly to see his face? I don't think that, that, the, that uh, what's being revealed here just means that we're going to look in his, into his eyes. That's a given. We, we understand that. We're going to look upon him. We're going to see him face to face. But the face means more than that. Remember in the Old Testament when Moses said to God in Exodus 33, show me thy glory. God said, you cannot look upon my face because if you do, you'll die. But I'll show you my back. And what he meant by that, God doesn't have a, a physical face and a physical back. What he meant by that is I'll show you part of my attributes. You could not handle the full glory of who I am not in the present state that you are. You could not see my face, meaning the full revelation of my attributes. I'll give you a glimpse of who I am. That's what face and, and back refers to. And I think that's exactly what he's saying. To see God's face means that we're going to see the Lord Jesus for who he is in a way that we don't have the capacity for now. You'd die if you saw Christ in his full capacity because the Bible says no man shall see God and live, meaning in our present state. But in heaven, in glorified bodies, we'll have that capacity. The reason our worship in heaven will be so, so rich is because we will be gazing upon Christ's full glory. We'll see him as we have never seen him before. And he's the center of uh, the universe. And we will be in awe of him. We will never get over that. We will never get bored with that. We will be gazing upon him. And you know what? That's the key to your worship right now, to gaze upon Jesus Christ in the pages of Scripture. When you see Christ, you will worship him. When you see his attributes, when you see who he is, when you see his character, you cannot help, if you're walking with the Lord, to respond in worship. Let me just uh, show you primarily today what our worship should be. One last verse, and that's Romans chapter 12. Just one attribute. We just see a little bit of his back today. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Notice, based on God being merciful, his attribute, just, just his back, we don't see a full expression of it, just a little bit of his attributes, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Response to his attribute of mercy in saving you and being so kind to you and giving you all kinds of things which we never deserved is that you give him your life. That's worship. You've gazed upon him. You've seen how merciful he is. We deserve to go to hell, but instead he gives us salvation and we're going to go to heaven. And in response to that, in gratitude, we say, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That's what worship is. And notice how Paul combines what we've been talking about. He says in the end of verse 1, which is your spiritual service of worship. Service and worship go together. What we do now is what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. Have you ever given your life to Christ? Have you ever, not only in salvation, given it to him, but as a believer, 
Say, Lord, I'm, I'm through living for myself. I, I want you to be the center of my life. Service and worship. See, that's what heaven is about. Life centered around Christ. Not centered around us. Not preoccupied with us. That's why you can have a taste of heaven on earth today if you center your life around Jesus Christ because that's what eternity is going to be. If you've never given your life to Christ and you want to know more, keep listening for the phone number to call. Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you have questions about salvation or you just want to know how to get to Lakeside for a visit, call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. To listen to previous broadcasts, check out the Message Archive page at versebyverseradio.org. There are hundreds of files there for you to stream or download at no cost. But if you'd like to help with our production and airtime costs, we make that easy to do through the giving page. Or you can call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. Thank you for your support. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I hope you'll join us for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve begins a new series of lessons from God's Word. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. We are here to give you strength between. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.